Bonjour, Tanse, bonjour, greetings, everybody. Uh, my name is Negan Sinclair, and I'm a columnist with Winnipeg Free Press. And welcome to the all Indigenous edition of the Not for Attribution podcast for the Winnipeg Free Press. Uh, we're very excited to, to host this panel talking about the federal election. We have candidates who have run for the fe- for a federal election in the past, and then talk about really what do we expect to happen. Uh, and we have some new voters coming in for today uh, to come and you know talk about the largest you know, as the part of the largest demographic within the indigenous community. What are they looking for? What are they looking? Uh, what's going to influence their vote? Uh, but before we begin. Um, I just want to say uh, it's a huge, exciting opportunity for me. Uh, I'm hosting for the very first time, so I appreciate everybody's patience, but I also appreciate the opportunity uh, with our regular host, Dan Lett, who's normally steering the steering the ship. Well, I'm uh, steering the canoe today. So, <laughs> so, uh, so we'll get started here. We, we're right now in the Manitoba legislature. It's the opening day of the fall session of the new provincial government, and it's uh, Orange Shirt Day. Uh, a lot of things happening here at the Manitoba Legislature, and we're excited to have uh, uh, our podcast being recorded here. And joining me is two friends of mine, colleagues of mine, who I've known for a very long period of time. Uh, but uh, we're here to talk a little bit about today about Indigenous peoples and federal elections. They've both run for federal office before. So on one side we hear we have uh, Rebecca Chartrand, who I've known for a very long period of time. And maybe Rebecca can say a little bit more about yourself in a minute. But you ran for the uh, uh, federal seat of, I believe, uh, Kuwait Nokaski. That's right. And uh, maybe we can start off with you, Rebecca. Um, tell us a little bit about where you're from and why did you just get to, you know, decide to get involved with federal politics? Okay. Good morning. Bonjour, Tanse Anin, Rebecca Chartrand, Dishnikas Wabashke, Dam. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I'm wearing a bright orange shirt today. And I was mistaken for um, looking for the NDP party. (laughs) (laughs) That's a perfect example of Indigenous peoples in politics. They think you're a party when really we're, we're, you know, you're dealing with the issues of residential schools and history and legacy and reconciliation. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, running for the um, federal liberals was definitely an interesting experience. Um, I have to say I learned so much from that. I ran in the Kuwait Nukaski riding, which is um, uh, three quarters of Manitoba, 78% Indigenous peoples. If that's a riding that we can win as Indigenous people, that should be one of them. Um, I ran uh, not because it was something that I was aspiring to do, um, because I I remember distinctly saying no three times. Um, I ran when I was told that I didn't have a hope in hell of winning. And to me, as an Indigenous woman, um, if you tell an Indigenous woman that, um, I think that's what's going to get her off her button to run a federal election. So um, knowing that there were huge um, obstacles ahead, no money, no organization, the message was that we have to represent ourselves as Indigenous people. We have to be at those tables, especially in ridings where we have 78% Indigenous peoples. So that's why I ran, and I did a great job, and I learned a lot. So spite, spite helps, right? <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, well, I mean, really, uh, also being involved, I mean, having a seat at the table, right? Mm-hmm. Now, right beside you is uh, Kevin Chief. Now, Kevin 
there's, uh, I mean, we could say a little bit about where you come from. I know that that's also a, a long story as well, but you ran for the uh, NDP federally before you ran provincially, uh, and you're later you're a cabinet minister with the provincial NDP, but, but your first run was really with the federal NDP uh, right. in the Winnipeg uh, North riding. Is that, was that right? That's right. And that's right. Uh, so tell us a little bit about where you come from and then also why did you run for federal office? Well, I come from a very similar place that uh, Rebecca comes from, the Pine Creek, Duck Bay area. So I got to give a shout out and say Duck Bay all the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I did run. I was born and raised in, uh, in the north end of Winnipeg with my dad. My dad was a single father, raised me. And, you know, I got really interested in um, particularly federal politics because of my MP. And my MP was Judy Washalisalis, who I think... Uh, represented the neighborhood, uh, represented our province and our country incredibly well. And when she made a decision to leave federal politics and run for mayor at the time, she approached me. And it had had a big impact on me. You know, Judy was one of these um, these MPs that she'd show up to our events. Uh, you know, we we're doing a lot of work uh, with, for Indigenous children and youth. And I don't even know how she found out, but she'd find out and she'd come. And we'd put on events for our seniors and our elders, and she'd be there. And I know that in a federal campaign like we're in now, people will say, you know, they should vote strategically. And often people vote strategically. Will their MP be in government? Often people vote party, leader, than candidate. I think someone like Judy supersedes all of that sort of uh, background because... When people ask me who they should vote for, I never tell them who they should vote for, but I tell them to get to know your candidate. There are people out there, if they're going to work hard, if they're going to be willing to earn your vote, really give them a look. And Judy is someone who, whose party was never in, in government, but I tell you, she is one phenomenal uh, member of parliament, um, and she really inspired me. So when she asked me to run, you know, I really took it to heart. The other thing that I was really um, impressed by her, she tried to represent everybody. She worked incredibly hard. She understood how diverse our community was, the issues that young girls and women were facing, Indigenous people were facing, the struggles that um, Indo-Canadians and Filipinos were facing around family reunification. And so I really wanted to be that kind of MP. I wanted to make sure that I was, I was bringing the, the teachings and the stories and our culture to the table and our issues to the table as an Indigenous person. But I also wanted to represent everyone's values in that neighbourhood, and she was a, an incredible example of that. And so when she decided to ask me, I took it serious and, and did it. The only other thing I would say that I think is important is I was like, both me and Rebecca's story is that we, we weren't successful on, on, on election day. But, you know, I, was ta I remember talking to Jack Layton and he phoned me up the night I lost. And you got to remember, I lost one of the safest seats that the NDP had in the country. So I really felt like I let a lot of people down. And I remember Jack telling me that, because I was in a by-election, so I got to spend a lot of time with Jack Layton. And he said, you know, Kevin, you didn't win on election night, but I want you to count up all the wins you had, all the friends and relationships that you've established, all the learning that took place. I, you know, on a... On a, on a day like Orange Shirt Day today, there's there an elder in our community, his name was Pat Campbell. And for the majority of his life, he wasn't allowed to vote um, because of the Indian Act. And we were able to get him out to cast that first vote. And those were the kinds of wins that Jack Layton told me about. And so, although myself and Rebecca weren't 
we didn't win on election night. We had so many other wins, and those are things that are really important to keep in mind when you decide to put your name on a ballot or you get involved in a political campaign to support an Indigenous person that seemingly might not be able to win. Those lessons stay with you forever. So, I mean, the, already, uh, I think we've touched upon four of the really big things, I think, of why Indigenous peoples get involved with federal politics, because so much of it is complicated. It's, uh, but yet you've talked, touched upon resistance and having a seat at the table. And you talked about, Kevin, you talked about relationships and then kind of working in this broader framework that is beyond our communities, right? This is the first federal election in history in which Indigenous issues are of interest of the federal parties in terms of a broad scale. I think beforehand they would be kind of a throwaway line. I, I remember in the 1990s, uh, maybe it was mentioned once, but in the, in, the, in the debates, it was the second question, even before the environment uh, in the debates. So how pertinent are Indigenous issues today versus when you were running? Uh, and also, what role did you have within the federal party of um, their Indigenous platform? Like, did you have a say? Did they consult you? Did they? Uh, I know we get a lot of pressure to get involved. I've been called myself to run federally. And so uh, I wonder how much say do we have at the federal level to have a to have um, interest or to have engagement? I think that our voice is increasing um, definitely across the country. Um, we're growing in confidence. Um, our voice and presence is growing in all industry areas. I think it's important to look at the infrastructure that's being created at, uh, you know, at different, for different um, leveled parties, whether it's provincial or federal. In the last federal election, we had a 15% increase in Indigenous um, turnout in voting. And I think a lot of it, a lot of that had to do with the fact that people could now vote on reserve. So they were setting up bowling, um, polling, um, opportunities for people to vote right in the community. Now, if you look at Manitoba alone, you have 23 remote fly-in communities. It's very difficult to vote if you have to, you know, find your way to Thompson or the Paw. But if we're, you know, creating this infrastructure that uh, allows our people to vote, you're going to see a difference. So hopefully this, this, uh, with this coming election, we'll see Indigenous people come out and vote as well. Um, we definitely made a huge impact in the last election um, which is why I think every party is, um, you know, sitting up and, and paying attention to what Indigenous peoples have to say. I think we are the solution to many of the issues that our, our country is facing. We are definitely um, the people to look to when addressing issues in our own communities. Um, so that so it goes back to that whole point that as Indigenous people, we have to be at the table to make decisions on things that are affecting our community. So, um, so in short, better infrastructure, Indigenous people are turning out, um, and you're seeing our, our leadership, whether it's Kevin Chief mm -hmm. um, or someone like Michael Champagne, who represents a, a large youth, uh, urban youth population, um, you're going to see our issues represented at these tables. Yeah, and I'd say it comes down to a couple things. One, you can't tell young people and indigenous people that things are priority you gotta you gotta show them and so having candidates like rebecca or even myself on a ballot really makes a difference to people they they, they have a sense that there's going to be someone listening and paying attention but more importantly we bring our network of family and friends to the table that probably haven't been there before 
But the other thing that's happening right now that I, I find incredibly interesting is I'm seeing a trend, and I don't think this trend necessarily is about politics. I actually see a trend in the overall uptake on, on meaningful conversations around Indigenous perspectives. So a good example is you being a columnist at the Winnipeg Free Press. You know, your, your job isn't to get people to agree with you. Your job is to actually get people to have conversations, and conversations that are difficult to have, but to have them in a respectful way. And so people who come up to me and approach me and say, look, I really like Negon's article, or I really hated Negon's article, it's exactly what we should be doing. And I think the media uh, have been playing a big role in telling these kinds of stories and what they mean. And I think that when you get into an election, you know, there's a bit, there's a bit of a microscope on the kind of conversations that are happening, but I don't think they're just necessarily happening during election time. I think they're there's a consistency. And one of the things that we know is the, the social disadvantages that Indigenous people have in this country are now having major economic consequences for all Canadians. So as we see these Indigenous issues and the struggles that Indigenous people have, they're not just Indigenous issues. And we've, and we've heard this many times, that they affect you know, all parts of society. So let's take Manitoba. We sell Manitoba to the world with Churchill. And if you look at the partnership that's happening in Churchill, it's a First Nations ownership in partnership with a major private sector company. Hydro touches every, every part. It's our economic engine. You can't talk about hydro in a meaningful way and where we want to go without talking about that unique relationship with Indigenous people. We see that all the time. The most valuable piece of real estate in our city is the Capion Barracks. How much, how much economic prosperity have we lost because of the lack of relationship between Indigenous and the non-Indigenous people and the tension with government. So if you actually look at the, the three major economic challenges that Manitoba faces, they're all grounded in relationships with Indigenous people and where we want to go. And I think that Manitoba is not unique. These are these kinds of stories that are happening in its entirety throughout the country. And I think you kind of saw that with the image that you showed of your daughter. This, this past week at the climate change rally. Climate change is a huge issue, particularly for young people, but it should be for all of us. And you saw the, the uniqueness of the Indigenous voice being led on that. And I think that shows a lot of strength, but I don't think this is a conversation that's happening in this federal election. I think it's a conversation that is continuing to grow. And I think the media has helped give it a platform to make sure that we can continue to have these meaningful conversations and what what they can mean for all of us. The kind of elephant in the room here is the issue of, are you an Indigenous person in the government or are you a government person in an Indigenous community? And what I mean by that is, uh, we saw a real struggle in this last federal uh, duration, this last federal government involving the relationship between the Prime Minister and Jody Wilson-Raybould. And the real complicatedness around that was that, uh, and this is a tough question, I think, for those of us who have you know, sort of grappled with the idea of being a part of a government, is uh, you, bring your, you don't dr leave your Indigenous identity at the door when you enter into a federal office, or in this case, an Attorney General. Uh, so when it comes to down to the crunch where you have to make a decision, uh, 
how do you balance your relationship with the indigenous community and then a federal government, which historically for 150 years has uh, oppressed, marginalized, uh, performed genocide against indigenous communities continues to. Let's say, for example, that you're in the federal government and the prime minister is choosing this major uh, energy resource project. Uh, you may see some, some semblance of reality here. Uh, but, and then you've got, but you've got fierce resistance from indigenous communities. But then you're being asked to go and front that, which I think Jody Wilson-Raybould took upon that role for so long, then hit a breaking point involving the SNC-Lavalin issue, which then became an issue around her ethics from her uh, Indigenous identity. How do you balance being an Indigenous person in a government which has historically oppressed and marginalized us? Very good question. I love it. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Hard question. <laughs> I think it's really important to recognize that even for myself, like when I ran, I was running for a party, knowing very well that as a young person, um, I saw myself as a sovereigntist. So looked at Canadian politics or provincial politics from the perspective of that, of yeah, well that's something over there, that happens over there, that I'm not engaged in whatever that is, that doesn't affect me. You know, if I just focus on doing good work over here, which is the education system that I was working on and focused on building good relationships, I'm good. But I think um, that's naive. I think I've learned a lot from um, running federally and again, it comes back to the idea that we have to represent ourselves. And so myself, I identify as an Anishinaabe uh, Métis woman, although I also have some Cree and maybe Dakota in my background as we're um, just looking at that. And so I would always tell people that I'm Anishinaabe first, first and foremost, that is who I am. So coming to you, I am coming to you as an Anishinaabe woman, you know, and if I'm wearing this party color, it's because that's the party that I'm, I just happen to be running for, you know. Um, and it's not to say that I, you know, I, I don't align with certain values of any party, but um, we will have to continue to engage in those really difficult um, issues that arise, whether it's issues around pipelines or, you know, the, the one that you just mentioned, Negan. Um, and those are spaces that we have to negotiate. And so we know that you know the pipeline and the climate issue is real. It affects all people, globally and in our communities. Um, and so we have to be a part of those negotiations. We have to create space for ourselves to make sure that our voice is heard. So integrity is important, absolutely. Um, but I think staying true to the issues that brought us into those spaces to begin with, if our convictions are right, um, if we know why we're running, and we're running for um, something greater than ourselves, and as an Anishinaabe woman, absolutely, it wasn't about me. It was about addressing the issues that our communities are plagued with, housing, water, um, kids in care. So these are things that were very important to me. Um, and, and they will continue to be important issues for all of us as we engage in these spaces. So, so I think that, in, in, a, in a nutshell, is we have to continue to be in those spaces, have those really hard, difficult conversations with people in government. And I remember talking with Paul Martin, um, the former prime minister. He came up to Cross Lake with me. And on the plane ride up, he says, you know, Rebecca, you really need to get in. You know, you're an educator, and, and let me put it to you this way. 
You know, it took me not one, two, three, four, five times for somebody to tell me something. It took about 15, 16 times for it to set in. And it's not just about representing your constituents. You have to go in there and you have to educate people horizontally. The change isn't just about in your writing. It's about knowing that you're working with a group of people that also need education. And relationship building. So again, we need to be there at the table. Yeah, it's a it's a tricky question, um, in just in terms of framing it around, you know, what happened with uh, Jody Wilson Raybould. But you know, there's it's a tricky balance because <clears throat> you there's a lot of good things. You know, when you run uh, provincial or federal, you're running part of a, a party and a team and a brand, and there's a lot of wonderful things that come. A, a, tremendous amount of support and there's there's a there's a in, a in many writings that gives you a really good shot of actually being elected and the idea of being at the table voicing the concerns and the challenges and making sure that those are are coming first and foremost from your constituents but that also comes with the responsibility when you get it's not only the good things you get about being on the team there's also the the struggles and the challenges that that comes with being on a team too, meaning that you have to voice and express your opinion and you might fully disagree with what the decision is, but when you leave, you're a team and there's gotta be consensus and people need to know that. And um, that's, that's where it gets really tricky because the issues particularly that we're dealing with with indigenous people, they're so, so hard. They're the hardest things for us to deal with in our society and they come at us quite personally because the majority of people who are there have lived experience. And so that's where that's where it always gets really difficult because you get these advantages to being part of a team, you get these advantages to being at the table, but sometimes you're not gonna you're not gonna agree with what's being said. Um, so you have to you have to deal with the fact that you don't just get the good things, you actually get the hard things too. And how you how you make decisions, you know, comes down to who you are as a person, your family, and the commitments you've made to people. And that's always the hard part about being part of a, a, a political party and a team. It's not just good things you get, you get the bad things too. And so the other thing that I, I would mention is there's a lot of people who sit around a cabinet table or who sit around a caucus table who fight and fight really hard for what they, they believe in, but that doesn't come out publicly. Th that doesn't mean that they're not fighting equally as hard. That doesn't mean that they're not pushing a boulder up a hill and, and dealing with the same stress and anxieties of what that means. It, it's really hard sometimes because, you know, the person who steps out and, you know, publicly says, well, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to um, stand with, with the team anymore. You know, I, I can understand why that would be, probably because it became a values uh, problem for, for certain people. But for someone who's, who's in there in the grind and doing everything they can at the caucus table or at the, the cabinet table, trying to move the issue a little bit forward, I mean, just because we don't hear about them publicly, we shouldn't think that those people aren't working equally as hard to try to move that Indigenous agenda a little bit more forward. And I mean, that's what's tricky about these things. It's always the behind the scenes and the details of these things of what really matters for people. So when we don't see someone publicly come out on a certain issue, that doesn't mean that they're not fighting for that issue inside the actual 
caucus room. And so we should remember that as well. So what I wanna, we want to do right now is um, we want to go to hear from the youth. You know, Indigenous young people, uh, particularly between the age of 10 and 19, are the largest demographic in the Indigenous community at the moment. Uh, it's a huge amount of uh, new voters coming out who have interest uh, in engagement. And so we're going to hear from a group of young people who are going to be voting for the very first time uh, or almost are at that voting age. And what are they interested in? What are they engaged in? And then we'll come back. And but when we come back, uh, I'm going to ask you both to make a sort of uh, call what would be the best case scenario in this uh, upcoming federal election for Indigenous communities and what might be some of the issues that you see either talked about or not talked about at the federal level for this federal election. So let's go to the youth panel right now. Bonjour, welcome again. Uh, we're at the second part of our podcast here where we're joined by a number of Indigenous youth who have graciously offered to come and join with us uh, as we're taping on Orange Shirt Day. Uh, we're thinking about residential school survivors. We're also thinking about reconciliation into the future. And, and I'm joined by three first-time voters in this federal election. This is the very first time these three individuals will be voting in a federal election. Uh, you may have participated in the provincial election, which literally just finished a few minutes ago, it feels like. Uh, but uh, this federal election, uh, you will represent, in many ways, the largest demographic in the Indigenous community. So your interests, um, your what will bring you out to the polls will have a tremendous say. Like, for instance, in the last federal election, uh, over three dozen ridings were directly influenced by the Indigenous vote. That meant that MPs made it to government because they appealed to voters like yourself. Um, so we're interested today, what do you want to see? What will get you uh, engaged in the democratic process, which historically Indigenous peoples have not always come out to vote? So what are you interested in and what will influence you? So what, joining me today is I have uh, Cheyenne Jolliker, uh, who's Métis, and she's also a student at the University of Manitoba. I also have Raiden Bricklin, who's Métis, a uh, student at the University of Winnipeg. And I have Carter Graveline, uh, who's Métis, uh, and currently attending Argyle uh, School here in Winnipeg. So let's start off with you, Shan. Um, what interests you with this federal election, and what will bring you out to vote? Like, why should you vote? Well, I think that it is incredibly important for not just Indigenous youth to vote, but all youth to vote, because at the end of the day, these are the people leading our country. These are the people putting in laws into place for us, and the relationship we have as Indigenous people with them needs to be a positive one. It needs to be going forward as positive as it can be, and with this federal election... I really think we need to take into consideration the policies that they're putting into place and how their views on Indigenous peoples actually are. Um, I know for the Métis Federation, we um, had our annual General Assembly last year in October, and um, it was announced that we were recognized as a self-governing people by the federal government for the first time ever, and that was so big for us um and for me having Justin Trudeau the, like the liberal leader 
acknowledge that was re- was really big. So I personally kind of view the liberals in in a good light um, and would like to see what they're going to do further um, on this kind of path to reconciliation with all of us. So Raiden, uh, you know, our ancestors, uh, yours and mine, weren't allowed to vote. Uh, we, we had... Um, we weren't citizens. We had no rights. Uh, we were under the control of the Indian agent in our communities. What does it mean to you as an Indigenous person to have the availability to vote, and what interests you? I just want to see work be done in communities up north. I want to see them help people with their mental health issues. And just get, get them going somewhere. I want to see that. Carter, uh, you're a ceremonial person and been involved also with climate change. I saw you at the climate change march on Friday. Uh, what does it mean f- to you to vote? And as a first-time voter, how uh, how does that feel? First time voting uh, in the federal election means a lot to me um, because I do feel like this is our chance to have our voices be heard and some people cannot use those voices still uh, to this day. So it is important for all of us to vote for those who cannot um, I, uh, what I would what I would love to see is um, primarily water rights for every community that has been suffering uh, with possibly no water at all or just not safe water. Um, also, want to highlight uh, LGBT and Two Spirit health concerns because uh, you know the the Two Spirit community is committing suicide every day. Every day, you know we're lo- losing our people. Um, and uh, I just want to know that we can trust who we're voting for. And uh, historically, we have not been able to trust who we're voting for. And I think that we need to establish that trust before anything else. So, Cheyenne, uh, I wrote a column a few weeks ago back now during the provincial campaign saying that don't be surprised, uh, provincial parties, if you don't create policy platforms with an intention for the indigenous vote, don't be surprised if people don't come out or if people aren't interested in your party. Uh, What is one thing that's caught your eye during this federal campaign that uh, has attracted you towards a particular party or or at least you're interested in learning more about that party? Um, Something I haven't really noticed is anything in particular about the um, missing and murdered indigenous women and girls crisis and that's a really big thing with me um and i know it's a really big thing for nahani fontaine who i've had the privilege to work with a couple times and it kind of bothers me and is a little bit troublesome because that's such a large part of our community and the canadian community as as a whole like these people are a part of our country and that's not fair so there's these girls that should have been allowed to vote that should have been there right and it it kind of it kind of bothers me that it hasn't really been addressed really big or anybody's really said anything i i really think that's something every party should be addressing um needs to be addressing really and i know for our like our provincial election and stuff like that and our just our election here we had Nahani saying some things and and people like that and that needs to be pushed up to a federal level 
it's a crisis across Canada. It's not a local crisis. It's everywhere. And like, that's a really big thing for me. And I think that's a really big thing for a lot of indigenous communities. And that might be kind of a factor in whether or not we come out to vote is if you're saying things that are an issue for us. So Raiden, this federal campaign is really one of the first in history where Indigenous issues are being talked about regularly. When I was your age, uh, which was 25 years ago, uh, I can tell you that Indigenous issues were never spoken about, they weren't addressed, they weren't certainly part of policy platforms, and if they were, they were usually a throwaway line saying, uh, we're going to build this community centre or build this school over here in this one First Nation, in this one place. But now what you're seeing is a large-scale engagement by almost every political party. You have to have an Indigenous policy agenda. Um, is there any one particular party that's interesting you or has caught your eye or some, maybe a party that's done something that has turned you off in some way? With Justin Trudeau, I think what he does is fine. I think he does do a lot of work with communities and Indigenous people. But when we talk about turnoffs, what, what I would dislike about it, what he does... It was like he creates a large carbon footprint on the earth. That's great. Uh, so, Carter, we've got a, uh, a federal government. He's made a lot of promises, a lot of promises, uh, especially involving the environment, but also involving lots of issues that have already been addressed. Um, and then we've also had the issue of the prime minister who's had some dubious relationships maybe in the past of dressing up like certain races or you know sparking certain feelings um what are some things that you think the indigenous community or yourself uh, might be interested in or that that's caught your eye this election i think we need to start addressing the child and family services a lot more we need to see um more mental health addiction services you know Um, And we need to see not just an apology, but a plan for moving forward, because anybody can apologize. It's what you do after that apology that matters the most. Um, So I think that we're in for a long road of seeing what happens now, you know, because people can apologize, and Justin Trudeau has apologized for many things, but we need to see what happens now, right, and what's going to happen in our future. Um, I don't see any any of these uh, parties talking about the foster system, um, or or water rights, you know. I don't hear much of that. Maybe I'm not looking in the right places, or but I don't know. I just, you know, we need to uh, we need to move forward and uh, see what these leaders do moving forward. So for the last question, I want to ask you guys. Um, let's imagine that you're sitting somewhere. You're sitting with a friend of yours, uh, same age as you, and they say to you, "Ah, eh, what's the point of voting? Eh, there's no point. It doesn't matter." And uh, my vote doesn't count. Uh, Why would I want to go out and spend time out of my day to go vote? What do you say to that person who's your age, indigenous person, maybe feels a little little apathy, a little um, like their vote won't matter at all or they won't have any impact? What would you say to that friend of yours that uh, if they said, I'm not going to go out? You can't change a system if you don't take participation in it. You can't change anything if you're not trying to change it. And yes, historically, you know, we haven't been treated as we should have been. But how do you move forward from that if you're not willing to participate in moving forward? You can't change something if, again, you're not willing to change it, right? So for the people that don't want to vote, for the Indigenous people that don't want to vote, it's really important to remember that, yeah, we may have been treated terribly, but 
now you have the chance to change that right you have these parties with all these promises and things like that and it's up to you to select which one you think is going to treat us better and it's going to really help our communities flourish it's up to you one vote matters every single vote matters one person can change it all right Raiden uh what what do you think will inspire your friend who doesn't want to vote or maybe they have good reasons not to vote would you uh what would be something that you would say to that person I would say that your vote can make a difference what I'd say. Okay, uh, Carter, uh, we've now got the vote for, we've got the vote in 1960 as First Nations people, uh, enfranchised people before that. So we're going on almost 70 years of Indigenous peoples having the vote. Uh, why do you think that matters? Um, it matters to me because your vote is your voice. Um, you know, so many people have lost their voices or their voices were taken away. Some people weren't even given a chance to share their voice at all. Um, and now we have that chance to vote, you know, use that voice. Um, I like to say that uh, we cannot dismantle a system if we are not engaging in that very system. You know, you have to take it down from the inside, you know. Vote for the people that you feel represented by. Um, vote because a lot of people cannot vote. Uh, this was a real honor sharing this space with the three of you. Um, it's a huge pleasure to hear young people who are so politically engaged as a, pers- as a father of a 13-year-old. Um, I'm very aware that this generation, even younger and younger, is leading the marches, stepping up, acting on social media, being more cognizant and aware of the issues, perhaps than ever before. And so it's a real honor to spend time with you. I want to say a huge miigwech to all of you. I have some gifts for you for coming, being a part of this panel. Uh, and thanks for coming out. Giga Wabman Minawa. Miigwech. 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 So in the words of our host, Dan Lett, there you have it. Uh, that was a, a great opportunity to spend with young people who are uh, exposed to politics, Indigenous young people. Uh, I want to turn back to you, Rebecca and Kevin, for the last uh, part of our podcast here to sort of say, uh, what would be the best case scenario for Indigenous communities coming out of this federal election? As I mentioned before, this is really the first election in history where parties are kind of involved. All parties are involved on some level with Indigenous issues. Um, what would be the best case scenario? Is it a minority parliament? Is it a certain party holding the balance that has a strong Indigenous agenda? Is it a certain policy idea that you see coming out of? And what are some things that you're seeing coming out and things that you wish would come out a little bit more? From my own personal perspective, I think we need to maintain the course. I think um, the Liberal government um, has made huge promises to Indigenous peoples across the country, um, very ambitious agenda, Um, And we need to give that more time to see those things come to fruition in our communities. I think this government has given more to um, our communities than any other government prior. And of course, you're probably thinking, well, you ran for the federal liberals. But if we look back at least uh, up to 50 years, we've been struggling in our communities. We have a lack of infrastructure. Um, I've seen it firsthand because I traveled around to the north. There's 40 First Nations communities in the riding that I ran for, and I managed to get to the majority of those communities. Um, 
So when we have that opportunity, you see on a mass scale the dire straits poverty our people are living in. Water is an issue, housing, everything, daycare, um, addiction issues. So that tends to light a fire in your belly that goes, okay, uh, this is such an injustice and something needs to happen. So we've seen huge money come into our communities. There's a number of communities in Manitoba alone that are receiving infrastructure money to build some new schools, which are hugely needed. Um, I also think that uh, in terms of this election, we need to see more Indigenous peoples, whether that's running for um, you know, the Liberals, the NDP, the Conservatives. We just need to get more Indigenous people out there and engage so that they can be the voice for these issues. Um, yeah, so good luck to all the candidates that are out there, particularly Indigenous women. Um, we have two that are running here in Manitoba. We have Judy Klassen, who's running in the... Um, the Churchill Kuwait Nukaski riding, which is where I ran. We also have Leah Gazan, who's running in um, the Winnipeg Centre. Um, so good luck, ladies. Rooting for you. Awesome. And uh, again, you know, it's really important that our people um, know how to work across party lines and that there's that willingness to do so. Because from our teachings and our perspective, it's really important to, to work together and to see that relationships, good relationships, is the key to moving anything forward. So despite party politics, it's important that we have a united voice on these issues that could potentially bring change into our communities. I think today is an example. What happens during an election campaign is we create a platform for Indigenous people to talk about typically voter engagement and talk about some of those issues and what it's going to take to get, i.e., young people out to vote and try to deal with that. Here's our greatest challenge, and it happens across the country, is that when an election is done, we stop talking about it. And the worst time to try to get people to vote is during an election because it's when it's most partisan and it's when there's the highest rate of polarization. And partisanship actually turns people off. So if you want to get new voters... The worst time to do it is during an election. So the ideal thing would be that we can continue these conversations after the election and continue to talk about democracy in a way that says, how do we get people that typically don't vote? Young people, Indigenous people, our seniors, low-income people. And here's what I think. I think that the media is probably the best group of people to do it. Uh, number one, your platform's amazing. You reach a lot of people. Number two, you aren't partisan, uh, so you can look at these, these kinds of issues in a very non-partisan way. And you have an ability to create partnerships, let's say, with the Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs or the Manitoba Métis Federation, and hold gatherings together. And here's the thing I know. If we were to start after this election about bringing people together with the use of the media, often facilitate, moderate, just like we're doing here today, and, we, and they created partnerships with, say, some Indigenous-led organization. This conversation sounds totally different in four years. But here's what happens. We stop talking about it, and we wait another four years to the next election cycle, and then we ask the same questions again in a time when everything is super partisan. Like, you know, someone like Rebecca, who, who ran for the Liberals, like, you know, She's giving a shout-out to Judy and Leah, two, two completely different parties. We need way more of that, and it, it's easier to do those kinds of things in between elections. And here's my final point. 
when we can find ways in which to, to get people to vote, what that means is that that's often a tool that you can use to get them more engaged in their community. To one, get access to services and resources that government's providing often to them. And just as importantly, to help shape public policy, to get their thoughts, their ideas, their lived experiences, so that when we do things on scale, public policy and legislation, their voices are heard. An election campaign is only one tool that we need to be able to do that. If we only ask these questions during an election time where it's hyper-partisan, it's so hard to engage new voters. It's your typical voter that takes up all the space. But you need the right kind of people to be able to bring people together. And I think the media could play an exceptional role on this. And I, I guarantee if we were to put this kind of emphasis and we had more of these kinds of opportunities over the next four years, not during election, your questions you're asking now would fundamentally change and who you're asking them to would fundamentally change. But election after election, whether it's civic, provincial or federal, we stop asking those questions. And then we try to ask them during election time. It's too late. You gotta do them in, you gotta do them in between so we can build a, a sense of momentum. So instead of having a 50% voter turnout, maybe we actually, we, we actually jump and that, that jumps and that could be a model for um, the rest of the country and other groups that we know struggle to, to get engaged in the political process. One thing's very evident uh, that Indigenous peoples are involved in po politics at every Canadian level more than we've ever involved, been involved before. Uh, while we've been involved with our chief and councils on our First Nations or whether it be our Met 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 the Métis Federation or whatever that might be, um, or organizations I find the most amount of politics that when I was growing up was in friendship centers. Uh, that was the number one place, the political space. So I would say the number one thing people were more engaged in was who was the new executive director than they cared about their MLA or MP. But that's shifting now, I think. I think people are now more engaged and interested in their MLA MLA and their MP, uh, for the most part because of really brave people like yourself and, and courageous people who put their name out for office. Uh, I know that how the stress that running for office takes on both yourself and your family. So uh, it's a huge miigwech from us, from the free press, but also from myself and, and I think from the Indigenous community at large for running for office and having the bravery to do that, to, to have those hard conversations, whether they be at the doorstep or whether they be in the community centre, or whether they be in the party headquarters, wherever that might be. Uh, I know those are really hard. I know that it takes, uh, it's not perfect in any means, but it's still an important step. And so I want to say a huge miigwech and thank you very much for coming. and. Uh, and for being a part of Not For Attribution. Giga Wabma and Minowa, we have some gifts for you in uh, Anishinaabe style. I have gifts for you uh, that, uh, to, for coming to the podcast. And, uh, and I also want to give a huge shout out to uh, uh, Jessica Batolo Urbanski, who, uh, how did I do for pronunciation? Okay, I got it. I got the, I got the okay uh, for being our producer, our fearless producer who uh, edits and, and gets our, our episodes ready. And so a huge miigwech to Kevin and Rebecca uh, for both of you for coming. And uh, we will see you at the next uh, Not For Attribution podcast where someone will be hosting. I'm not sure who, but miigwech. Thank you for having us. Miigwech. Miigwech. Thank you.